This is Wessler Media. So what are some of your hit like how when you age guessing weight guessing birthday birthday month yeah mm-hmm. you just what do you do is there any of the lines you have that that are particularly you like not really I mean I just use whatever comes to the top of my head uh oh the high roller with the baby stroller on this episode of a fair to remember we're talking about sales at the fair and I thought I'd try my hand at a few pigeons. You start. No, go ahead. No, 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 no. We want to watch you, man. Rookies we want to watch you. Okay, then you have to. Then you have to hold the mic. All right, I'm okay. hold, I'm you hold the mic. mic. That's your age. Well, how? Oh, that's right. <laughs> the Ohio State Fair and Wessler Media are proud to present a fair to remember, discovering the stories and people behind this statewide tradition. I'm your host, Vince Tornero, and this is season two. So, what was my grade? Do you think I did okay? Yeah, on a scale of 110, I give you a two. Two. Really? Yeah. I give you two. Two and a half. What'd I do wrong? Well, first you weren't supposed to show the age. Did I do okay? Yeah. You're about a, a one out of ten. A one out of ten. Many moons ago, you used to be able to find a child at the fair. Adoptions at the fair. One-stop adoptions. Totally happened. Totally real. Check out season one, episode one of A Fair to Remember. I'm not lying to you. After my awful experience with Fool the Guesser, I thought we'd go find some stories. The first one we came across was the pin specialist in the Brecker Building. Name is Brett Wilkinson. I'm the owner and operator of Pin Specialist here at the Ohio State Fair. Um, I was born in Wilmington, Ohio. I now reside on the open road, but uh, I grew up in Wilmington and Hillsboro, Ohio, which is roughly uh, 60, 65 miles south of Columbus, Ohio. So I am Ohio-raised, born and bred, but I'm spending 11 months on the road now in my RV, so I'm a permanent RVer uh, doing shows. Three shows here in Ohio. I do one in Wisconsin, Milwaukee. Then I go out to Oklahoma City. I go to Dallas, Texas, which that is the longest show. It's 24 days. And then I head to Florida and my season starts down there in West Palm Beach, then I go to Tampa, Orlando, Jacksonville. It was in 1988, it was, uh, me, my mom and dad and my sister, we came up here to the fair and we're walking through the buildings. And actually we was at the North, they call it the North Commercial, even though it's at the south end of the fairgrounds. The couple that owned this business at the time had a for sale sign. Now my dad worked factory, I was working construction And we got to talking with the uh, couple and everything, very nice people. And uh, they actually invited us to another fair, which was uh, Coshocton County, right out just north of Columbus. So me and my dad decided to go and check it out. And uh, we spent two days with them and it amazed us. This is 1988-89, how this business was, cause I'm, both of us are like, who in the right mind would want to buy this, you know? Who, who wants to buy pants? But once we went to that show, we seen it, and my dad's like, you know what, I'm, I've done 30 years in a factory. I, I think I'm going to retire and do this. He says, I want to start traveling. I, you know, I was out of school working construction. My sister was getting ready to graduate. So when, one thing led to another. The guy actually, we put a down payment on the business. He let us take it. We went down to Florida, scared to death, because we'd never done anything like this before. And we ended up doing four shows for that winter. And one thing I can remember my dad saying, he goes, 
what we was able to accomplish and make um, in uh, four shows in two and a half months, he said that would have took me almost two years to make in the factory. That's how well, that's how well it went. How many, how many do you have? In, I know you got like 120,000 here in this booth. How many do you have in total? What, pins? Yeah. Oh man, I've never done inventory, but well over, probably close to 200, 220,000. Cause I still got uh, seven, seven boxes like this in my garage. And that's a, how big of a container is that? Uh, I would say that's uh, 18 inches by 30. Wow. That's full of pins. It's what, what it is, is a lot of times I'm at these shows and people sell me collections. And then I've had people who actually did this at flea markets all over the United States at these shows that I go to who no longer want to do the flea market deal. So they're like, hey, I got a thousand pins. I got a couple thousand pins. Would you be interested in buying them? Well, mainly on my boards alone, I show between eight and 10,000 different style of pins. Now, in order to be able to sell continually, I try to carry six to 12 pieces of each pin. So I roughly got probably about 120,000 pins on my, in my business right here in this stand right now. My boards take such a beating, I have to break them down and it takes me four hours to set one board up. That's taking all the pins off, replacing the background paper, putting all the pins back on in organized categories. Wait, that's wait, why, wait, it takes you, takes you how long to do one board? Four hours. Yeah, that's why a lot of times I'll do roughly three boards in my downtime, depending on how much time, because honestly- Three boards in a day. Well, no, 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 no. <laughs> three boards in a week. You want a good story. I'm in Shreveport, Louisiana, and this is like four years ago. I have a veteran, Afghanistan veteran come up. Now the gentleman had been blown up with three other guys. He was the lone survivor. He comes up in a wheelchair. He's lost all his, both arms and legs. Okay, and he had one artificial arm just to control the cart. And I'm sitting there and I'm watching this young man. He's probably, I'd say 24, 23, 24. And he's pointing, you know, he's telling me, yeah, I was in this unit, blah, blah, blah. And I said, I'm, you know, thank you for your service. Uh, really sorry. He says, don't feel sorry for me. He said, this was God's decision. He said, this is the way I see it. He said, I wouldn't change a thing in the world other than the fact that I lost three of my best friends. And I actually, it, you could maybe say that it was pity. I didn't look at it that way. I looked at it out of respect because of what he had done. But he picked out some pens and I went to give them to him. I said, no, these, he says, no. He said, I don't want your charity. He said, you look upon me as a broken person. He says, I'm not broken at all. I think that it was, as I'm standing here talking to you, it just strikes me that there's, there's something sweet preserved here. It's, it's the history, honestly, if you think about it, I've known and actually seen when I've gone to museums that uh, man, has been fascinated with lapel pins as far back even before Civil War time, Revolutionary War time. They actually, there's buttons out there. And believe it or not, I mean, like your baseball cards of old, 
Um, they're very valuable pieces. Uh, the oldest piece I've ever owned was the actual Titanic midshipman pin. I actually got it at an estate auction and uh, I ended up foolishly, instead of keeping a hold up and putting it in a safety deposit box, but the guy offered me quite a bit of money and I, I wasn't about to turn it down because that's what I'm in, I'm in sales. And then the next one, of course, which held a lot, a lot of history was the 1936 Berlin Olympics. Jesse Owens defied Hitler, all right? And I had three of those. And um, when I went to get them authenticated, I actually had a young man who was studying here in the States from Germany because the pins themselves was about a little bigger than a silver dollar. And you could tell that they was handmade over in Germany because they was domed, they wasn't flat. They was dome shaped, and, but everything was in German, all the writing. And he actually, after he read, and he sat there and read it out and that what it was, it was for the executive members of the Olympic board and they wore them in order to go from stadium to stadium during the 36 Olympics. And that was just one of those deals where, again, I was at an estate auction. A guy had a cigar box that was full of miscellaneous stuff. I bid on it and I won the bid, you know. So I've lucked out that way through the years in finding pens such as that, which when I sold them, and when I sold my last one, I was actually in Milwaukee, and I had a lawyer from Chicago who came up to my booth, and when he seen it, I mean, he immediately just handed the credit card, didn't even ask the price of it, said, this is gonna be my centerpiece for my office. He says, I got a set of Olympic pins that I've picked up through the years. So what's your, uh, what's your future, you know? I mean, you're, I mean, you're not, yeah, an old guy, but what's yeah. down the road? What? Uh, you know, that's a very good question. Uh, I'm hoping to, because uh, this is actually, the pins are actually making a comeback with the younger generation. I might be by myself traveling, but when I get to these shows, like the gentleman right there, he's a good friend of mine, you know. Uh, I got, I, I met some wonderful people, man. Now, you might have not noticed this, but I think one of the coolest parts about Brett's story is the fact that this pin business was a way for him to get a closer relationship with his dad. And that, to me, is pretty sweet. So yeah, so after that, I hopped into the golf cart, I went north to Casey Call, and I met up with a guy who almost preaches what he's selling. But he's not selling religion, he's selling pots and pans. Outside the fair for about seven, seventy-two ninety-five, and worth every penny of it. Look up here at me. My name is Mark, and it's Tamaris, his last name, and I do the cooking shows, of course, for Kitchen Craft out here. Had the show for many years. I think one of the most exciting and interesting parts about people's stories is that if one thing changed or they made one different decision, their whole life course would have totally shifted. And this was definitely true with Mark early on with his career in the Navy and heading into technical school. I went to Great Lakes for boot camp. Okay, so I start off in Chicago, so what? Then they went. They sent me to San Diego for A school. And then after I went out to San Diego for A school, uh, they said the person that graduates first in their class gets to pick any place in the world they want to go. So when they give you a list of where you want to go, I had picked a spot where we had a naval base in Germany because I always wanted, because I studied a lot of German in high school and I wanted to go to Germany. And so I graduated first in my class. I knew I was going to get, so I put the list Germany. And then they gave you a list of things. So I just put, you know, I put Great Lakes. I put da 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 da, da on down the line. Well, then when they brought the paperwork back from the, the Navy, they said, 
uh, we're closing that base in Germany, so you can't go there. So we took your second choice, which is Great Lakes, Illinois again, which is Chicago. So I joined the Navy, they stuck me in Chicago for three years. And then, uh, so I worked up there at the, at the, on the boot camp and at the, at the hospital. Probably was good for me because that's where I started my career with the cookware. Had I went to Germany, I would have probably never did this. The cookware's been in state fairs since state fairs have started. Uh, people can't get the cookware in there uh, at stores. No place it can be purchased is either at the fair or if they invite us into their home and we do dinner parties in their homes. Uh, or they have a salesman knock on their door, but it will never be sold in any store. Uh, so it's people come to the fairs to get their cookware. Does the salesman ever stop selling? No. Uh, from the day we walk through, the, from that minute we walk through there, uh, here's an example this morning, one of the vendors came through who bought cookware from me about four years ago and this morning before you got here, she added another piece to her set. So before we ever get started today, you know, people are buying product all the, all from every second. When I walk out of my motor home, the people that are next to me in the motor home out here in the, in the campgrounds was asking me what I was doing. And this was three days ago. His wife came by and bought a set of cookware from me yesterday. So last night when I'm home in the motor home, I'm selling the cookware. Then they come out and see me out here and buy it. And, but I started selling cookware when I was 19. And... Um, uh, uh, on the naval base, uh, going into people's homes, and uh, then it, it hadn't stopped. I've, I used that to, to fund my education, so I, you know, got my degree in marketing, and uh, I'm a licensed optician, and had my own optical store, and did all that sort of thing. But the cookware was always there. I was always doing it. I never stopped. And then, eventually, uh, when I met up years ago. Uh, almost uh, 38 years ago, 37 years ago, I met up with my brother-in-law and uh, him and I, are, he owned the company and then we designed this cooking show as you see it here today. My very first dinner party I did was, was very ironic. Uh, I walked into people's home. Everything was good. It was my very first dinner party. I was gonna be that young salesman that was gonna sell everybody a set of pots and pans. And as I was doing the dinner party, my wife come to the back of the kitchen and she said, I need to speak to you. Now everything had went wrong. I dropped a pot of carrots on the floor. I flipped an egg on a guy's foot. Nothing's going right. And she's going, I gotta to talk to you. I said, go away. Can't you see everything's going wrong? And she goes, no, I have to talk to you. I said, go away. And the gentleman uh, that was hosting the dinner party turned and said, Mark, you probably should talk to your wife. And I turned around and said, what do you want? And she said, my water broke. And uh, at that point, we picked up and we had to leave the dinner party and the people to do the dishes. <laughs> and uh, we left and I had a bouncing baby girl. Uh, so my daughter born January 7th, uh, 41 years ago, I know exactly how long I've been doing cookware because of her birthday. The little girl, she came in on the corner. Normally, we don't let children sit. This was the, another ironic thing. We don't let children sit in the cooking show uh, by themselves. We always have them with parents. And she just had to come down, and I wasn't busy, so I just let her sit there. She was quiet. She just looked so, like, just a kind little girl. And she sat there and watched the whole demo, an hour and a half. She leaves, and I get ready to do another demo, a half an hour, 45 minutes later, and she sits through another whole demo. And then she sits through another whole demo. And, you know, you know, we started, that That was a particular day, we started at 9 o'clock, and we're done at 7 in the evening. And she comes up at 6 o'clock in the evening, and, 
and 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 she literally has this little purse of her she pulls out a dollar 79 cents because we would say the kitchen cutter was 179 well you know all the adults know 179 dollars because we price condition them for the same price as a you know at that time maybe a cell phone or whatever it was that you know people had back then like i said she walked up and set a dollar 79 cents on the counter and said i'd like to get that for my mom for her birthday and I, there was nothing I could do. I couldn't say no. I had to, I had to sell her that for a dollar seventy-nine cents. And yeah, it only, it only happened one time. Yeah. yeah. My goal is anybody that doesn't have it, if they don't get it, it's my mistake. I didn't, I did. Uh, here's, here's a good example. A lady walked up to me, and this, uh, this will be the last story I can give you. But a lady walked up to me about ten years ago. And she said, I bought that cookware from you 10 years ago. Mark, you are the smoothest talker. I have never seen a smoother talker than you. You talked me into buying that cookware. And I said, well, thank you for that, but can I ask you a question? And she said, sure. I said, do you still own the cookware? She goes, own it? She goes, it's the greatest thing I ever bought. I love it. And I said, so you love it, you bought it, you enjoy it, it's the greatest thing you've ever bought. Let me ask you another question. Do you think I still have the commission check from 10 years ago when you bought that cookware? She said, no. I said, then who made the better deal? You or me? Good, man. You're good. I'm learning. Learning every day. It's first come, first serve. You guys got the first one. And if you want to fill that part out right there, Robert, I'll help you with the rest. You got the second one. Who does all the cooking at home? According to a brochure that I found online published by KitchenCraft, over his 40 plus year career, Mark has sold over $20 million in this cookware. This guy is good. You want to know what? When I was driving away in my golf cart after that conversation in case of call, I was kind of thinking about the cookware myself. But you want to know the sales pitch I totally bought into? That lady selling lemon shake-ups outside of JP's Barbecue. A Fair to Remember is presented by the Ohio State Fair and produced, edited, sound designed by Westler Media. Executive producer and PR manager is Alicia Schultz. Additional script writing and editing by Becca Kerr. Every episode expertly mastered by Joey Gerwin at Orange Judio. Special thanks to all of our guests and anyone who did anything at all to make this podcast a reality. And thank you for attending the fair year after year and upholding this wonderful and fun tradition. Last and of course not least, Got to mention my wife, Melina, who listened patiently to various rewrites, versions, and edits of all of these episodes. I love you. And I'm your host, Vince Tornero. This has been a fair to remember. I'll see you on the Midway. The fun, the draw, the excitement of a fair, that should be enjoyed by everybody. And this year, the Ohio State Fair, it's going to be more accessible and inclusive of individuals with disabilities. Now, this is in partnership with Opportunities for Ohioans with Disabilities, Complimentary wheelchair mobility charging stations. They will be available throughout the grounds and are listed on the fair maps. And these fair maps, they can be picked up at the fair guest information services booths. Second, fairgoers who are blind or low vision, they can use this technology called IRA. This is really amazing stuff. Now, IRA, it's going to connect to an agent who can help you with navigation. In collaboration with Ocali, a sensory-friendly morning is going to take place July 31st, 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. throughout the fair. The lights and the music on all the rides are going to be turned off and fairgoers can enjoy the many educational activities, including those in the Oasis at the fair. That is the Ohio Department of Natural Resources Park. Now, if you want more information on all this and all this great stuff about making the fair more accessible, you can find it by emailing info at expo.ohio.gov. That's info at expo.ohio.gov. Or you can plan to stop by a guest information services booth during the fair. 
The production you just heard was carefully crafted at the studios of Wessler Media. For more powerfully engaging podcasts and other audio content, visit wesslermedia.com. Stories of overcoming adversity, intense and unexpected twists and turns, education, encouragement, and plenty of those, did you hear that, moments. Hear more and talk to us about creating your own podcast, from large and detailed projects to smaller, more personal-sized productions. That's wesslermedia.com. W-E-S-S-L-E-R-Media.com.